Good morning again. There's this still quietness this morning. I'm not sure what that is. I'll, I'll take that, Sam. I'll take that as reverence. I'll take that as being st- still before the Lord, knowing that He is God. We'll go with that. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 11. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, I do ask you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11, and we'll look to God's Word this morning. And continuing to look at prophecies in regards to Jesus. Who is Jesus? What does that mean to us as we move forward through the Advent season? God's word says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness the sash around his waist. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we look to your word this morning to speak to us in this time of Advent, this time of remembering the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and also looking forward to the coming again of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May we continue to gain a deeper understanding of who you are and who you want us to be. By looking to your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is the third Sunday of Advent, and traditionally the third Sunday of Advent is one about joy. Uh, and it's one where um, joy is something we tend to pursue. It's joy is something that we want in our lives. Joy is something that we look forward to. Uh, joy is something that we sing about this time of the year. Uh, the only song you're going to get from me this morning, right? What's the song about joy at Christmas time? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. That's it, right? We, everybody knows that song. I, even if you don't know anything about Jesus Christ, you put on the, the music to that song, there's a good chance the person's going to be able to sing the lyrics because they hear it over and over everywhere. It's one of those popular songs. And today, the third Sunday of Advent, is about joy, about the promise of joy that would come to the people of Israel, the joy that has come through Jesus Christ and the joy that is there for both you and me. But our lives do become this sort of a Rubik's Cube puzzle where we're trying to twist it and turn it and figure it out. And if we get that Rubik's Cube puzzle just right, take all the right steps have the right job, have the right career, have the right family, have the right house, have the right car, have the right health, go on and on and on, fill in all the blanks, and we keep twisting the Rubik's Cube, and when all the colors align, that somehow we're going to wake up on Monday morning and say, oh, I'm full of joy. 
And that's not the joy that the Bible speaks about. And it's not the prophecy that Isaiah would bring about for us. And it's not what life is really about. And while we look at joy, some will actually hypothesize and they say the more that we can live a strength-based life, to be strong in our lives, to reciprocate relationships with others. In other words, someone does something good to me, I'm doing good to others, you know, I'm, I'm loving my neighbor. And as long as I live with some kind of moral coherency, I'll somehow have joy. And again, putting all those pieces of the puzzle together will not bring us joy. And while those are good characteristics, and I encourage everybody to reciprocate relationships with others, to live life with the strength of the Lord, and to live with a moral coherency, they're not going to replace real joy that we get in our lives and that we can get from God. Isaiah was prophesying about the one who would come who would bring real joy into our lives. The one who would come that we look back at, they look forward to, and the one that we look forward to coming again that will bring us real joy. And so what I want us to, this morning is to look back and take time to look back at what Isaiah was saying to the Israelites and the prophecy that he was given to them for us to understand what does this mean in our lives to have real joy. Because real joy is for us to be able to look back and understand who Jesus is and to be able to look forward and know that he is coming one day. Matthew 24, 44 tells us, So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour you do not expect him. That's not real fear. That's real joy. To know that I am looking forward during the Advent season and understanding Advent in such a way that Jesus has come, and now I'm looking forward because he will come at again at a time I don't expect him, but I will be ready and waiting. Isaiah tells of one who would come from the stump of Jesse, from the roots. When Jesus came, we don't have this big kingly, kingly line of, of Jesse, of David. And the last that I checked, Mary wasn't eating at the king's table for dinner every night. The chainsaw had come out. I don't know about the last time that you took a chainsaw, a chainsaw out and cut down a tree, and all you have left is the stump. Now, if you don't do anything at that point, eventually you'll have these little saplings coming up out of the roots. There's nothing left of the tree. It's dead, on its way to being dead. And this is what's described for us in the book of Isaiah. Out of the shoot of Jesse, out of the stump, out of the dead tree of the kingly line of Jesse, out of the dead tree from his roots, the roots that are growing in the ground where you would least expect it, all of a sudden there is going to be a root that's going to, a branch that comes forth and it's going to bear fruit. The expectation was that someone would come from the kingly line of Jesse, from the kingly line of David, and then this person would bring forth fruit. And this person would change the world. Last time I did check, Mary and Joseph were not rich people. Not rich at all. I, I would say they were probably barely getting by. We know by the offering that they gave when Jesus was born and they went to the temple, they gave the, uh, the offering of a poor person. So out of the stump, out of the roots that are buried in the ground, we have Jesus coming forth for us to bring joy into the world. So, with the joy that Jesus was to bring in the world, from this tree that was cut down, 
that would seem to exist no more. What can we learn from Isaiah about Jesus? What can we learn from him that's going to impact us? These verses are powerful for us. I want you to understand that these are verses that we can live our lives by. They're verses that tell us about Jesus and who he is and what he was going to do. But at the same time, they're verses that we can take and right away apply to our lives. In the first place, I want to start off is really talking about the spirit of the Lord, the spirit that was upon him. We're told that the inner strength that Jesus had did not come from himself. We are told that it was because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The Spirit of God resting upon Jesus, giving him wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge. The Spirit of the Lord that would bring him to a point that he actually would fear the Lord. And, and live under obedience to his heavenly father. It's the same spirit, the same spirit that brought about Jesus in the womb. And it's fascinating when I started to think about this. The spirit that came upon Mary that brought forth Jesus in the womb of Mary is the same spirit that comes upon him that strengthens him. It's the same spirit that we learn about at the baptism of Jesus when the spirit descended on him like a dove and we learn about the baptism of Jesus, is the same spirit that led him off into the wilderness to be tempted. Now catch that for a moment. The spirit of the Lord was upon him. When the spirit of the Lord is upon us, what are we expecting the spirit of the Lord to do? Strengthen Jesus, gave him knowledge, gave him wisdom, gave him understanding, gave him counsel, gave him might, gave him the fear of the Lord but also led him into the wilderness to be tempted. It's the same Spirit of the Lord that gave him power in his life to cast out demons. It's the same Spirit of the Lord that gave him the strength in his life to go and heal lepers, to give sight to the blind. And the same Spirit of the Lord rests upon us. It's the same Spirit of the Lord that rests on us that gives us comfort and gives us strength and gives us guidance. It's the same Spirit of, the, of God that comes upon us that confirms our adoption as sons and daughters of God. It's the same Spirit who gave Jesus wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and the fear of the Lord. It's the same Spirit that gives us wisdom and counsel and understanding and might and fear of the Lord. It's the same Spirit that joins you and me together that joins you together with the person that's sitting in the row that's near you. It's the same spirit that bonds us together in unity, that gives us the bond of peace, the spirit of God that rests upon us as well. We look at Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of the Lord upon him, but we need to remember in the same way that Jesus walked with the Spirit of the Lord as his guide and pouring all of those things into his life is the same spirit that we need to have pouring into our lives. And without the Spirit of God, without the power of God, we are nothing. We are nothing. And we need the Spirit of God to rest upon us as well. The Spirit of God changes his life, and as the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, the Spirit of the Lord also guided him. And I want to look at a couple things where the Spirit of the Lord guided him and moved from just, just not only the Spirit of the Lord resting upon him, but the Spirit of the Lord guiding him by righteousness. Righteousness guided Jesus where he would see, he would see as his father would see. He would hear as his father would hear. 
It was with righteousness that he would judge the needy. Righteousness. Righteousness defined by human standards is the quality of being morally true or justifiable. I'd like to be right. I tell you, I'd like to be right. I don't know if I told you this story before. And I get one of my sisters, forgive me for this, when my one sister was young and I was a bratty young teenager, I wanted to be right. I like to be right. And so we're in the car one time and we're driving down the road and she said something and I said, no, you're wrong. And we argued about it and discussed it and debated it. And after a while, I knew that I was wrong. But you know, it was more important for me to be right. And I kept debating the issue. And I can't even remember what the issue was. But I kept debating it until I had her convinced that I was right. And so forgive me if she remembers that. Forgive me. I won't even say which sister it was. I had three of them. But I think this is the way we want to live our lives. We want to see ourselves as having the quality of being morally true and justifiable in who we are, no matter what our actions are. Whether I argued something that was wrong, but I want to prove my point, and I'm not going to back down because I'm going to be right. And there's something that haunts me too today. And I don't know if it haunts you in your life, but that's not the righteousness that Jesus had. Jesus didn't strive to be right. He was right. And in our lives, we have to stop being, striving to be right and allow the Spirit of God to rest upon us and for God's righteousness to be imparted to us so we can be right in the eyes of God. Because if I stand in my moral righteousness, I'm falling short of the glory of God. And so are you. But if I'm standing in the righteousness of God, I'm welcomed as a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And there is a big difference between the righteousness that guided Jesus and the righteousness that the world wants to guide us with. The righteousness that Jesus went through life with was, as I said, it was to have in the eyes of God that he would see people around him who were in need, who, who needed his hand, who needed his touch, who needed something from him, and with his eyes and with, the, and with his ears, seeing and hearing as if God himself were seeing and hearing and moving forward in that righteousness. He would see people who were in, in life who were sinking, sinking in sin, and he, he would lift them out to salvation. He would see people that were sinking in fear, and he would lift them out and give them faith. He would see people who were who were sinking with sickness, and he would heal them. He would see people who were downtrodden with no hope, and he would give them hope. And that's the guide of righteousness that he had in his life. Our guide of righteousness does not need to be one that makes us right. Our guide of righteousness through the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit is one where we make somebody else right. And that becomes a struggle in our lives because we deal with conflict all the time. 
We deal with, deal with all kinds of turmoil all the time. All kinds of debates all the time. And is the argument that I want to be right or is the argument that I want to make sure that other person's life is right? And the Spirit of God, of God that rests upon Jesus, the Spirit of God that guided him by righteousness was one where he would make the lives of other people right. Righteousness is allowing ourselves to be used by God in life and to use rightly by God in our lives. I want to do, do yourself a favor over the next 12 days. We have 12 days till Christmas Eve, 12 days to Christmas. I had to check this morning. I keep thinking it's the 12th. It's the 13th. 12 more days until Christmas. Find yourself doing right by somebody else. Over the next 12 days, find yourself doing right. Find somebody that is in your life or a chance encounter that you have in life and find yourself doing right by somebody else. Buy someone some groceries. You know, go to your neighbor's house and sit down with them and talk to them for an hour and make their day. Somewhere, somehow, you know, pay for someone's gas in their car. You see a car broken down on the side of the road, stop and help them change their flat tire because nobody else will. Whatever it is, where God leads you, I can't give you the definition, where the Holy Spirit leads you to help be right in somebody else's life. When Jesus was guided by righteousness, it wasn't so he could be lifted up and sit on a throne. It was so all of us could be lifted up. And be in his presence. Several times I've, I've, I've seen the question. It is a question that drives me crazy. And I, I'm not going to answer it anymore. I'm not going to debate it anymore or not. And I have my mask up here. And I will put it on when I'm done preaching. And I will wear my mask and, and all those things. The question is, well, would Jesus wear a mask? Give me a break. I'm not answering that question. And I'm not answering it on Facebook anymore. And I'm not answering it here from the pulpit whether Jesus would wear a mask or not. But I am here to say that guided by righteousness, guided by the Holy Spirit, he would be guided to change other people's lives. He would be guided to bring the gospel message of repentance and forgiveness into other people's lives and change other people's lives. Jesus didn't come to make a decision on whether we would wear a mask or not wear a mask. This book is not whether we wear a mask or not wear a mask. This book is about our salvation. About being saved from our sins, restoring our relationship to God so we can be in his presence. And in turn, until the good Lord takes us home, until the good Lord takes us home, he's given us only one assignment to do. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the job he's given us to do. To take the righteousness that he has parted into our lives because we have asked Jesus to be our Savior from sin and to forgive us and to take that righteousness and help spread it out into other people's lives. And so it's not an issue of whether Jesus would wear a mask or not. It's whether are we bringing that righteousness and the salvation message that God has given to us into other people's lives and helping make their lives right. Jesus, with the Holy Spirit that was upon him, guided by righteousness, he's also guided by justice. Verse 4 continues, telling us with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth 
with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. The ministry of Jesus was mostly to those who had no voice. If we read through the New Testament, he wasn't always hanging out with the, the uppity people in the world. Yet he did. We know he sat down to dinner at some pretty nice places. We know that he was at the temple. But when you read through and understand his ministry, his ministry was to the people who had no voice, who had no hope, who were not served by their own self-righteousness. He was a voice for those people who had no voice. And he constantly stood up against the oppression of the poor by their leaders. He spoke about hope of eternal life into the ear of everyone that would be willing to listen. You know, it wasn't due to his boredom that one day he walked into the temple and flipped over a bunch of tables. Oh, whatever you want to do this morning. Hey, guys, let's go down to the temple. I'm going to flip a couple tables. It'll be fun. No, he went there because it was because of the oppression of the people where they couldn't even afford to go into their own temple and offer sacrifices. And so he goes in and flips the tables of the money changers because they're turning God's house into a den of thieves, extracting money from them. And if this church, church's purpose is only to get you to pay a tithe every week, we're missing the boat. We are missing the boat. Because we need to be about changing lives. Our mission is about changing people's lives. Not about getting rich. Get, getting money in a tithe is just to help keep the building going and help keep the ministries going. And Jesus stood up against the people who were downtrodden the people that did not have a voice. And as God opens up our eyes and our hearts to injustice, we need to be guided by the same spirit where we stand in the gap for other people. We need to be a voice that's crying out. If we see our employer treating people unfairly, I thank God that I work for an employer that does treat people very fairly the majority of the time. Yeah, every employer makes mistakes, but the majority of the time does so. And they cry it out. But if you work for somebody that doesn't, go to your employer and say, why don't we treat people fairly? Are we a voice crying out for justice? We need to make sure that we have our voice cry out. Proverbs 29.7 says, The righteous care about the justice for the poor, but the wicked have no concern. That's one to wake up to. <laughs> wow, wake up to that proverb every morning. Wake up to that one. Go to sleep, go to sleep with that proverb. There's one for you to really go to sleep with. The righteous care about the justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. And when you're laying down and your eyes are about to close, say, God, did I have concern for the poor today? And if God says, no, you didn't, that's a tough answer to fall asleep to. But God calls us to be guided by the Holy Spirit and to walk forward in righteousness and carry that forward. And then from there, guided by justice, where we are concerned about those that are around us. James 1.27 defines religion for us. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Here's religion that God defines in James 1.27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. A combination package, I can't throw one piece out or the other. Are we guided by justice? Do we have concern for people that are around us that don't have a voice? When it comes to justice, I want to be 
give you a caution. Don't get caught up in the world's justice. Don't get caught up in how the world wants to define justice. Get caught up in how God defines justice. Get caught up in godly justice. The majority of the time, the world's justice, it does not fit with God's goals for the world. And it creates more injustice than it actually goes to to solve. Jesus Christ never left a path behind him that was destruction, violence, and death. Never. Never in his path were those things walking behind him. When we look at the life of Jesus, he was lifting people up, lifting people up, lifting people up, and that was his justice. Giving hope. Giving a hand where there was no hand. Miraculously feeding 5,000 people on a hill when everybody else was scratching their head and said, we don't even have enough money to do this. That's justice that Jesus was willing to carry out. In Luke chapter 7, we have a story about justice. Jesus is at a Pharisee's house. Like I said, he does hang out with people that have well-to-do, and he's at a Pharisee's house enjoying dinner. It's a nice evening. He's over at the pastor's house having a nice dinner. And the Pharisee's name is Simon. And while there, he's there, a sinful woman comes into the house, crashes the party, and starts anointing Jesus with perfume and wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. And while the Pharisee was sitting there, He took the opportunity to belittle the sinful woman. He didn't bring justice. He took the opportunity to belittle her. To belittle her and call her a sinner. And Jesus took the opportunity to give her justice. So when we look at someone else's lives, which opportunity are we taking? Am I Simon or am I Jesus? Am I of the world's justice or am I of Jesus' justice? guided by the Holy Spirit. Simon the Pharisee looks over at her and says, why are you allowing a sinner to wipe your feet? And sometimes that's the way we react to people. If you'd get a job, you'd have something to eat. That's the easiest thing to say. Well, go offer them a job. Carpool with them, drive them to work. What are we doing to lift them up? Here's Jesus' response to the woman. It starts in verse 44 of Luke chapter 7. Jesus says, Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. There's justice. There's the Holy Spirit poured into Jesus, walking as the Son of God, giving justice, lifting someone up out of their sin, and helping them to have a right standing While the world says, you're nothing. Are we bringing forth justice? At the foot of Jesus, at the foot of the cross of Jesus, there's no partiality. There's forgiveness. I do want to give you a caution because one of the greatest injustices in our own world is self-righteousness. One of the greatest injustices of the world is self-righteousness. That I'm good and I can stand on my own. 
Because as soon as I get there, as soon as I get there, I make a mockery of the cross. Think about it. I'm good. I'm smart. I know what to do. I can solve this. I can carry my own. I don't need a miracle in my life. I'm okay. And all of those self-righteous thoughts are ones that make a mockery of Jesus Christ. And that's the greatest injustice we could ever carry out. Real justice in a Christian's life is recognizing that without Jesus, I'm nothing. Without Jesus, I'm lost. Without Jesus, I have no hope. I have no eternity. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. He's guided by righteousness, guided by justice. And in the repetition, in verse 5, we learn that he was girded by righteousness and faithfulness. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness with the sash around his waist. And I wrap up with this. At the beginning of the day, at the middle of the day, at the end of the day, you would look on Jesus and you would say, he's consistent. Not once did Jesus wake up on the wrong side of the bed. I have, you have. For the majority of you, I've seen both sides. The good, the bad, the ugly. Jesus never woke up on the wrong side of the bed. He was girded by righteousness and faithfulness. When he put his belt on, it was always the same belt every day. Righteousness. And then he'd get a sash and he'd put it on every day. And it was faithfulness. See, when I go and look in my closet, probably the same with your closet, there's at least 10 outfits you could choose from to wear on a Sunday morning. I could probably do 20 on a Sunday morning. Hey, next week is Christmas Sunday. I'm pulling out one that I wear once a year. You know, it's just the way it is. If we go back a couple hundred years, you're lucky if you had two outfits. You wore one, and the other one would air out. It didn't get washed, it would air out. And you'd switch. You go back a couple thousand years, you had the clothes on your back. And when Jesus was girded with righteousness and a sash of faithfulness, his clothing was consistent. Not the clothing he put on, but the Spirit of God that rested upon him that gave him righteousness and gave him faithfulness to minister and to point us to the gospel, to point us to himself, was consistent, the same clothing, every single day. For us, we're often as fickle and random as the number of outfits in our closet. One day righteous, the next day not. In the morning we're okay, and then by the time the afternoon comes, we're blowing up at somebody. The next day we're walking through the day, and someone looks at us the wrong way, and we stump on their toes. And God says, let me pour the Holy Spirit into your lives. And every day, be girded with righteousness. Every day. Put on the sash of faithfulness. Every day, walk in the Spirit of God. 
Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24, he tells the church that they were taught, and this is how they were taught. I like this because Paul says they were taught. They were taught to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. They were taught by, by others around them to put on the new self. Every day, put on the new self that they were created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now here's the result. Now, I'm not going to read through every word of Ephesians chapter 4. You can do that on your own. Open up your Bible this afternoon and read all of Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 24, and you'll see these things. Here's putting on the new self. Here's what it's going to do in your life. And I love this. This is what it's going to do in all of our lives. Here it goes. This is the result. We put off falsehood and we speak truthfully. In our anger, we don't sin. We stop stealing. We work. We share with those in need. No unwholesome talk comes out of our mouth. We build others up according to their needs. We don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We listen to Him. We get rid of bitterness. We get rid of rage and anger and brawling and slander and every form of malice. We're kind and compassionate to one another. We're forgiving one another. And that's only Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 24. Putting on the new self, girded, girded with righteousness, girded with faithfulness, God changing our lives. So what do we do with all of this? I want to tell you, what do we do with this? Let's start at the beginning. Start praying for the Holy Spirit to rest on you anew. Pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you anew. For the Holy Spirit to fill you to the point that these things are not second nature to you, that all of these things are first nature to you. That you are guided by righteousness, that you are guided by justice, that you are girded with righteousness and faithfulness. And these are the things that the Holy Spirit is pouring into our lives. Pray the Holy Spirit changes us again. Allow the Holy Spirit to change us. Pray for the Holy Spirit to constantly reveal to us where we have old stuff that we need to throw off and new stuff that we need to put on. Practical, when you're walking into a store, pray to God, God, give me a divine appointment as I walk through this store that I see with the eyes of God and I hear with the ears of God and allow the Holy Spirit to walk through us to serve through us where we have a righteous appointment with someone. We're showing justice and faithfulness, led by the Holy Spirit. In my slide, I have a picture of a family tree. Jesse on the right, somewhere down here, a stump, a root. And we have Jesus that came forth. I'm going to change it a little bit. Jesus is over here. The question really becomes... Are we coming forth somewhere over here? Am I of that lineage of Jesus? Is the same Holy Spirit that rested upon Jesus resting upon us that we're living our lives the same way that he did? If someone looked at you today, would they say, Hey, there's Ralph. He comes from the family of Jesus. Hey, there's Mary. She comes from the family of Jesus. Hey, fill in your name. They come from the family of Jesus. I hope so.
I pray so. And if not, ask Jesus to come into your life today. Ask the Holy Spirit to be your God today. You know, I can't do it. I can't do it at all. But I know someone who can. God can. Let's choose to be different in this Advent season. Let's choose a whole new family tree. Let's be part of the family of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we find ourselves before you, seeking you with all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our strength. Lord, help us to serve you in such a, such a way as you would desire. As you touch the life of Jesus with the Holy Spirit, your Son who came to dwell among us, at the same time filled with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God upon him that was guiding him. We ask you this morning, Heavenly Father, pour your Holy Spirit down on us. Pour your Holy Spirit down on us. Help us to walk in righteousness and faithfulness to you. I thank you for the good work you continue to do in us. I thank you for touching our lives each and every day. Thank you for your light that has shined into our lives. And may that light now go and shine forth from each and every one of this church. Thank you for your still, small voice speaking into our lives today. And I thank you for the Holy Spirit that rests upon us. May we go out of here this morning, Lord, filled with joy. Because we know that we are in your hand and our future lies with you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful week and God bless you.